So which way are you looking this Advent Christmas season? Forwards or backwards? You know, there's a lot of forward looking, isn't there? To parties, uh, to family gatherings, uh, to presents, right kids? Presents under the tree, looking forward to that. Um, but with all the forward looking things that we have, still a good bit of the Advent Christmas season for us, at least the way we celebrate it, is, is looking back. We, we look back to the coming of Christ to our world. Uh, we sing carols that reflect back on the first Christmas with angels, shepherds, wise men, just like our kids were telling the story. Uh, the secular songs of our, of our day uh, have a backward, nostalgic look. You know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. Have yourself a, a merry little Christmas as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Uh, we decorate our homes, don't we, with, with scenes from, uh, and carolers, uh, those little figurines that, that are right out of 19th century Dickens world, you know? When uh, we decorate the tree, we put up uh, decorations that our kids made when they were two years old, you know? <laughs> we're still hanging on to those things. You know, we, a lot of, of the season is a backward glancing. Uh, and I am not a Scrooge here, please. Uh, I love the nostalgia. I love the sentimentality uh, of Christmas uh, this season. I love that we reflect back on Jesus, uh, his coming and the familiar texts that remind us of who God is and how God works. But Advent, coming, is not merely looking backwards. Jesus is coming again. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas suggests the dream is behind us, that the way to glory and joy is back to some idealized golden days of yore. But folks, there are no golden days of yore. That's an absolute myth and pipe dream. The better glory, glory better than we have ever known, awaits us in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what is this better glory? We'll turn to Isaiah 40. Uh, it's a text we often associate, and rightly so, with the first coming of Jesus. But let's consider Isaiah 40 in light of his second coming. And so begin this Advent season with a forward look. Let's hear God's word. Can you please stand with me? Thank you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare, warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Uh, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall, shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. This Amen. is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I propose that we would have a better Christmas if uh, we added a forward look to all that we're doing 
uh, in these next four weeks. Uh, and Isaiah 40, chapter 40, helps us look forward and to the second coming of the Lord as it points out the purpose of his coming. And the purpose of his coming, both first and second, has been comfort, glory, and reward. Comfort, glory, and reward. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem that her warfare is over. I mean, when, when we hear this, speak tenderly, the, the word there is actually speak from the heart. It's as if God is saying to his prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, I want, I want your voice to sound like mine. And I want you to communicate the mercy of God that I am coming and I am going to forgive their sins. I'm going to pardon their iniquity. Their warfare with me is over. And how amazing the timing of this declared prophecy. Um, it's, it's years before, in fact, over 125 years before God actually sends his people into exile in Babylon for their sin. At the time, Hezekiah is king. He's a really good king. There's a couple more after him. But basically, after Hezekiah, the nation starts spiraling down because they've turned their backs on God. They're worshiping other gods. I mean, this is absolutely uh, treacherous, the way that they treat God. And yet God, 125 years before even day one of exile, speaks of his pardon for their sin. How was their sin, though, going to be pardoned? I mean, was exile the payment? And what's this receiving from the Lord's hand double for all her sins anyway? I mean, that sounds rather harsh. I mean, it sounds like a spiritual ripoff, you know, in a way. Gosh, you had to pay double fine? You had to get your sins forgiven? Whoa, that's pretty harsh. But double here means full or complete. And notice, what, what was the only thing doubled in the reading that you heard? What's the only double? Comfort, comfort, comfort. I mean, get the logic of this passage. This is, this is crazy to our thinking. We sin, or excuse me, we, yeah, we sin and we get double comfort. How is that even possible? Well, it's all of grace. But it has to do with how our sin is pardoned. And it is not through human payment of exile. It is through God's payment Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and by his stripes we are healed. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Sin is a serious matter. But the punishment is the Lord's and the comfort is ours. And this is what God actually initiated. He, he began to accomplish this in Jesus Christ when he came the first time through his cross. That's where our iniquity was pardoned. That's where our warfare with God was ended. In Jesus, we are forgiven. 
We've been looking in uh, our series in Hebrews, and, and he makes the, the once for all sacrifice. There's nothing more to be done than what Christ has done for us in the cross. And the comfort, the pardon is ours. And boy, what a, what a word of hope and comfort this is to us. And if you don't know this comfort today, then I plead with you, just by the open hands of, of faith, receive this. The pardon of your iniquity. But, as the saying goes, we ain't seen nothing yet. It's double comfort. Comfort, comfort. In other words, the, the comfort that God intends is not fully here yet. It's not fully complete. And it won't be until Jesus' second coming. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sin of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Wait a minute, I thought we were already saved. We are, but we only have the first half of the comfort, <laughs> first part of it. There's another comfort coming, and it's called the fullness of our salvation. When Jesus returns, we're going to understand the full meaning of Isaiah 41, the massive comfort of the Lord his tender mercy for us in Christ, the new eternal beginning where we are forever with the Lord. When Jesus returns, truly, verse five is, is gonna come about, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. And actually, this is the second purpose for why Jesus is coming and it is to reveal the fullness of glory. When Jesus came the first time, uh, he revealed the glory of, of God um, John 1, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten uh, Son of the Father. But that glory was the glory of, of truth, grace, mercy, love, kindness, justice, goodness, wisdom. But it wasn't the full-on radiance of God's glory. It was a hidden glory. His first coming veiled in flesh the Godhead see. When Jesus returns, we will see what Moses was asking. Show me your glory. He wanted to see the face of God. And that is what is coming our way when Jesus comes. We will see him as he really is and we will fall at his feet in total awe. You know how beauty arrests us? I mean, we see a strikingly beautiful woman or a man and I mean, we... we we can't help but look. Uh, we, beauty grabs us. It's, that's, that's the weight of glory. The word glory itself means weight. And there's just something arresting when, when we are in the presence of beauty. It draws us. We stand in awe of it. And when Jesus returns, we're going to see him in the fullness of his glory. We don't have that capacity in our flesh right now. If we saw Jesus in his full-on glory, we would do what John did uh, in the book of Revelation. We would fall down like a dead person at his feet. I mean, listen, listen to the description from Revelation 1 of what John saw. Uh, he hears this voice behind him, 
And um, he turns and he sees uh, one, uh, the son of man clothed in a long white robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And then Jesus speaks. I mean, John falls down like a dead man. Jesus speaks, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Very interesting, Jesus coming holding seven stars. That's probably a version, uh, a way of saying the seven churches. He's got the church in his hand. But one of the Caesar's sons died. And they deified that son, and they made a coin. And on that coin was this, this child's image, and in his hand were seven stars. Meaning, the seven stars, the seven planets, meaning he controlled the universe. This is our Jesus. And he's going to come with power and glory, and he is in control of all things, and his glory and majesty will be revealed. And we will see it, all flesh will see it. But it's not just we're going to be on the sideline looking at this. We're going to drink this in. We're going to live into this. We're going to, we're, we're going to uh, mingle with the splendor of the glory of Jesus Christ that we see. We are going to be transformed ourselves. Uh, I love C.S. Lewis's essay, Weight of Glory. Uh, and in it, he, he describes glory like this. He says, We do not merely want to see beauty, okay, be on the sidelines. We want to be united with beauty, to pass into it, receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, become part of it. At present, we're on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. Yeah, you know what this is like. I mean, you're, you're, maybe you're uh, out for a walk one morning and you walk past this beautiful field, the sun's coming up and you know, birds are floating through the valley or the field, whatever it is. And uh, th- there's just this beauty and you want to run through the field. You want to become part of it, right? But you do and you realize there's something missing. I, I'm not... I, I'm not mingling with the splendor I'm, I'm seeing here. You, you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you want to you mingle, you want to you dive into the glory of this thing, but if you do, you're going to die, right? So you got to stay a bystander. We hear a beautiful piece of music. We see a beautiful piece of artwork and, and it draws us. We, we, we want more than just being a bystander. We want to enter into it. We want to mingle with it. We want that beauty in us. But we cannot mingle with the splendors we see. We're on the wrong side of the door. Lewis goes on to say, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday we shall get in. We shall eat of the tree of life. At present, the mind, body, receive life from God at a thousand removes through our ancestors, our food, the elements. The faint, far-off results of those energies which God implanted in matter when he made the world are what we now call physical pleasures. 
And even those filtered are too much for our present management. Do you, do you understand what he's saying? Everything we enjoy, the steak we enjoy, the music, love, um, the beauty around us, we, we're, we receive these pleasures and we, we glory in them, but we're receiving them at a thousand removes from God. Here's, here's the fountainhead and we're way downstream. And Lewis is saying, even at this end, they're too much for our management. They overwhelm us. And then Lewis asks, what would it be to taste at the fountainhead these streams of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? This is the glory coming our way in Jesus to drink at the fountainhead. We didn't read verses six through eight, but it, it speaks a, a very sober reality. Um, about human glory, that is nothing more than fading flowers and withering grass. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. All human glory, all that we boast in for ourselves, pay big money for, long for, work to achieve, in the end, is withering grass, fading glory. How many of you kids here are really looking forward to Christmas Day and opening some presents? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is what kind of Christmas, you know, at least uh, on this end is about, opening presents. Um, how many of you would love to get under the tree Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Do you even know what those are? <laughs> <laughs> the hands did not go up. <laughs> Rock'em Sock'em toy robots are not a, 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 the it toy today, but you know what? They were back in the 1960s. The 1960s, yeah. I mean, uh, that's old, and that's exactly my point. It's lost its glory. It's faded. What you guys want are video games, right? No. No. Who wants, who wants a video game? Anybody want a video game? Okay, I, I see some. How would you like the game Pong? You want the game Pong? Let me describe the game Pong to you. It's a black and white screen with a line down the middle and it's a dot that goes back and forth. <laughs> it is not the it toy today. And if you got Pong, you'd be bored in five minutes, let me tell you. <laughs> but it was the it toy back in 1972 because it was the only video game in back, back in 1972. And this, this is the point. All the, the, the glorious toys and gizmos and, and, and things that we think are so cool and glorious, they lose their luster. They fade. They wither. I mean, even with human achievement, who, who won the 11th Super Bowl? Who cares? Yeah. Unless you're a Raiders fan. <laughs> Fading glory. Whatever beauty captures your heart today, whatever human glory arrests your senses, it won't last. It's nothing more than fading flowers and withering grass, as are you and, and me. But the glory to come in Jesus at his second coming, what will it be like to drink at the fountainhead? Joy 
and love. That's what's coming our way. That's why Jesus is coming again. His purpose is to bring the full comfort of our salvation and to bring everlasting glory for us to live in. But there's one final thing that he purposes to bring, and that is reward. We didn't read this, but verse 10 says his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Now, what's this reward of the Lord? We might be tempted to read this as if Jesus is kind of like Santa Claus, okay? You know, and he's coming with a bag of toys to reward those who have been good. So you better be good, right? But the reward here is not what we get. It's what he gets. Recompense uh, means a reward offered someone for their loss or suffering. Jesus is going to be rewarded for his suffering. And what is that reward? Well, the reward is not for us. It is us. The reward is, is, is lined out for us in verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, gather the lambs in his arms, carry them in his bosom, gently lead those with young. You are the reward that the Father is going to give to his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to take you and me to himself for all eternity to lead us, to shepherd us, to comfort us, to show us his glory. I mean, how amazing that our Savior would view us as the prize. And yet this is why he is coming. Advent is looking forward to the coming Lord who is coming to bring full comfort to his people, to reveal his full glory to his people, and to to have us as his reward. Well, how should we prepare then for his coming? Well, in a way, just live in view of all this. Look forward to the comfort, glory, and reward of Jesus. I mean, there's power in that. It transforms us. It shapes us. But we don't always do that, do we? We get so stuck in looking back to past failures, missed opportunities, what might have been if only. We long for days now long past. As well, we become distracted by uh, present realities, overwhelming circumstances. And so what begins to rise up in our lives are mountains. For some, it might be mountains of pride. Look what I got. It might be mountains of fear or mountains of despair, mountains of fretting, mountains of sorrow, mountains of need. And they seem so big, and as we focus on them, God seems so small. Some of us get stuck in the valleys of despair, valleys of self-pity, self-concern, self-destruction. How many of you uh, decorate the backside of your Christmas tree at home? Okay, we we got some purists out here. That's awesome. We do not. (laughs) Our tree's in the corner. And we decorate only what you can see. <laughs> the backside is fairly barren. <laughs> and, and I think that's a picture of many of us, maybe all of us. We try to make beautiful what people can see. But there's so much undecorated and hidden from view, and that is what is rough and uneven about us. And so what do we do with all this? The mountains, the valleys, the rough places. What do we do? As we wait for Jesus' coming, well, we repent. 
A voice cries in the wilderness. That is the rough, uneven, mountainous, valley-pitted wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. You know, this passage was fulfilled at Jesus' first coming with John the Baptist. His was the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But it was a call to repent. That was his message. But repentance, when we think of repentance, we think of some you know, groveling misery maybe. Um, I'm such an awful person, Lord, you know, forgive me. But repentance, while we do bring our sin into view, more than that, repentance is bringing God into view and what he can do and has done in Jesus. Look, look again at verse three and four. Um, valleys are lifted up, mountains are leveled, uh, rough places are smoothed out. Who's, who's the agent of action in that verse? Is it us or someone else? In ancient times, when a king was traveling in his realm, he would send his own team in front of him. These were landscapers, okay? <laughs> and they would remove the obstacles. When it comes to sin, you and I do not have the power to remove it. Our pride, our self-pity, our bondage to lesser glories, all we can do is say, here it is, Lord, would you now remove it? And if we want a better Christmas, absolutely identify the mountains, valleys, the rough places of your life that obstruct the presence of, of the Lord. But open yourself to the glorious, disruptive work of the Lord. Let him re-landscape the soul. If we, if we try to settle for some status quo spirituality and reject God's disruptive work, we risk having nothing to do with Jesus and his kingdom and the work of the Holy Spirit who is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. So offer up to him the mountains and valleys and rough places. Repent of all that blocks his coming into your life and invite his good, holy, and healing, disruptive work. Lord, here's my pride. I can't defeat it. It's a mountain in my life. But Lord, you can. Would you level it, Lord? Lord, I'm in the valley of self-pity, self-concern, self-doubt, self, self, self. I can't get rid of self but you can fill up this valley and satisfy my longing soul. And the beauty of this is that God wants to do this. He wants to transform us so that we are more like the one who is coming, Jesus. You know, asking, what we're really asking for in repentance is to live more deeply in Christ. For God to remove what's ever in the way so that 1 John 2, 28, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame when he comes. But he is coming. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Advent greets us today with the oncoming Lord. Our Lord is on the move toward us, not the other way around. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's a done deal in the mind of God. And so we are people with the future look. We are waiting for our Lord to return. Currently, we're in exile, aren't we? 
just as Isaiah's original audience was. But, but we're not in exile because of our sin. 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, we are elect exiles of the dispersion. Boy, what a mouthful that is. You are elect exiles of the dispersion. <laughs> in other words, God has scattered his people all over the world to declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has scattered us everywhere to proclaim Jesus' coming with comfort, glory, and reward. So repent and believe the good news. And if you have not done so, do so now. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. If you do, you will have a better view of Christmas this season. You will have a forward look to the better coming glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what we should be absolutely certain of this Advent season is he is coming. Amen.